Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson Part 5 My Sea Adventure Chapter 27 Pieces of Eight Owing to the count of the vessel, the mast hung far out over the water, and from my perch on the cross trees, I had nothing below me but the surface of the bay. Hands was not so far up, was in conquerance, nearer to the ship and fell behind me and the bulwarks. He rose once to the surface, a lava of foam and blood, and sank again for good. As the water settled, I could see him lying huddled together with the clean, bright sand, the shadow of the vessel's sides. A fish or two whipped past his body, sometimes by the quivering of the water. He appeared to move a little, as he was were trying to rise, but he was dead enough for all that being shot, both shot and drowned. I was food for fish in the very place where he had designed my slaughter. I was no sooner uncertain of this than I began to feel sick, faint, and terrified. Hot blood was running over my back and chest. A dirk where he had pinned my shoulder to the mast seemed to burn like a rock hot iron. Yet it was not so much these real sufferings that distressed me. For these, it seemed to me, I could bear without a murmur. It was a horror I had upon my mind, falling from the cross trees into the still green water beside the body of the coxswain. I clung with both hands till my nails ached. I shut my eyes as if to cover up the peril. Gradually my mind came back again, my pulses quietened down to a more natural time. I was once more in possession of myself. It was my first fault to pluck forth the dirk over where either it struck too hard or nerve failed me and insisted with a silent, with a violent shudder. Well, he done enough. Very shudder did the business. The knife, in fact, had come the nearest of the world, missed me altogether, held me by a mere pinch of skin. This shudder tore away. This shudder tore away. The blood rain ran down faster, to be sure. I was on my own mast again, and only tacked to the mast by my coat and shirt. These last I broke through with a sudden jerk that regained and regained the deck by the starboard shrouds. But nothing in the world would I have again ventured, shaken as I was, upon the overhanging port shrouds from which Israel had so lately fallen. I went below and did what I could for my wound. It paid me a great good deal and still bled freely. It was neither deep nor dangerous, nor did it greatly gale me. I used my arm. I looked around me, as the ship was now, in a sense of my own, began to think of clearing it from its last passenger, the dead man of Brian. He had pinched, as I had said, against the bulwarks, where he lay like some horrible, ungainly sort of puppet, life-size. Life-size, indeed but now different from life's colour or life's comeliness in that position could easily have my way with him as the habit of tragical adventures had worn off almost all my terror for the dead i took him by the waist as i if 
had been a stack of bran, and one good heave tumbled him overboard. He went in with a sounding plunge. Redcoat came off and remained floated, floating on the surface. As soon as the flash subsided, I could see Israel lying side by side, both wavering. The tremendous movement of the water, O'Brien, though still quite the lone man, was very bald. He lay a bald head across the knees of the man who killed him, the quick fishes steering to and fro over both. But now alone and upon the ship, the tide and dust turned. The sun was within a few degrees of setting that had already the shadow of the pines upon the western shore going to reach right across the Hinkle's Reach and fall in patterns on the deck. The even breeze had sprung up, and though it was all well warded off by the hill, the two peaks upon the east, the cordage had begun to sing a little softly to itself. I heard ourselves rattle too far. I began to see the danger to the ship. I had jibs, I had slowed speedily down, so brought tumbling the deck for the main sails of harder part matter. Of course, when the schooners canted over, Boone sprung out bald, oh, out bald, cap of it. A foot or two of sail hung even underwater. I thought this made it more dangerous, yet the strain so heavy, I half feared to middle. And lay at last, I took, got my pen, got my knife, and cut the hill, hill yards. The peak dropped instantly, a great belly of loose canvas floated abroad upon the water, and since pull as I liked, I could not budge the downfall. That was the extent of what I could accomplish. The rest of Abstonia must trust to luck, like myself. But this time the whole anguish had fallen into shadow. The last rays of member falling through a glade of the wood and shining bright as jewels on the flowery mantle of the wreck began to be chill. The tide was rapidly fleeting seaward, the schooner settling more and more on her beam ends. I scrambled forward and lowered it over. I looked over, it seemed shallow enough, and holding the cut, hamster, hoster in both hands for luck. Last security, I let myself drop slowly overboard. The water scarcely reached my waist. The sand was firm, covered with ripple marks. I waded shore in great spirits, leaving Esponia on the side with the main sail trailing wide open upon the surface of the bay. But at the same time, the sun went flaily down. Breeze whistled low in the dusk among the tossing pines. At least at last, I was off the sea. No, I returned. Fence, empty-handed, and lay the schooner, clear as all last, from buccaneers and ready for our own men to board and get to sea again. And nothing nearer my... I had nothing nearer my fancy than to get home to stockade and boast of my achievements. Presently I might be blamed a bit for my truanty, but the recatch of Sponia was a clenching answer. I Hoped that even Captain Smollett would confess I had not lost my time. So thinking, then the famous spirits began to set my face forward. Wood for the blockhouse and my companions. I remembered and most of them easily the rivers, which drained and kept in Kidd's anchorage, ran from the two peaked hill upon my left. I've spent my course in direction 
might pass the stream where it was small. Although I heard it was pretty open, and keeping along those spurs, I had soon turned the corner of that hill, and not long after wading into mid-calf, across the watercourse, it brought me near to where I had encountered Ben Grimm. A maroon, I walked more serpentinely, keeping my eye on either side, every side. The dusk had come high hand completely. I was open out to the cliff between the two peaks of a began where a wavering glow against the sky. There, as I judged the man of the island, was cooking his supper for a valuing fire. Yet I wondered my heart that he should show himself so careless. For I could see that his radiance might he not reach the eyes of Silver himself. There he camped upon the shore among the marches. Gradually the night fell blacker. It was all I could do to guide myself even roughly towards my destination. A double hill behind me, a glass spyglass, my right hand loomed faint and fainter. Stars of fume and pale, and no ground where I wandered. I kept tripping along bushes and rolling into sandy pits. Suddenly a kind of brightness fell upon me, fell about me. I looked up, a pale glimmer of moonbeams. I lighted on the summit of the spyglass. Soon after, I saw something broad and silvery moving low down behind the trees of groom. I knew the moon had risen. But this to help me, I passed rapidly over what remained to me on my journey, and sometimes walking, sometimes running impatiently through near to Sothang. Yet as I began to thread the grove, a lies before it, but not so faultless. But that I lacked my pace and went to a trifle, went a trifle wearily. It would have been a poor end of my venture, get shot down by my own party mistake. The moon was climbing higher and higher. His light began to fall here and there in masses through the more open districts of the wood. Right in front of me, a glow of different colour peered among the trees. It's red and hot, and now and again, the loom darkened. As if it were the embers of bonfire smothering. For me, for the life of me, I could not think what it might be. The last came down upon the borders of the clearing. The eastern end was already steeped in moonshine. The rest of the blockhouse itself still lay in a black shadow checkered with long, silvery streaks of light. Inside the house, immense fire had burned itself into clear embers and shred. There was steady red brim. Probation contrasted strongly with the mellow paleness of the moon. There was not a single stirring, nor a sound beside the noises of the breeze. I stopped with such wonder, with much wonder in my heart, and perhaps a little terror also. It had not been our way to build great fires. We were, indeed, by Captain's orders, somewhat niggardly of firewood. I began to fear that something had gone wrong while I was absent, and have stole round by the eastern end, keeping close in the shadow, a conventional pace, where the darkness was thickest, closed the palisade, to make assurance surer, I got upon my hands and knees and called, without a sound, towards the corner of the house, as I drew nearer, my heart was suddenly, and greatly enlightened, it was not a pleasant noise itself, 
I have often complained of it other times. But just as it was it, then, it was like music to me. Hear my friends snoring together so loud, peaceful in their sleep. The sea cried the watch. The beautiful all was well. Never fell more surely my ear. Meantime, of no doubt of me one thing. They kept in power and famous bad watch. If it had been silver, it had they now creeping on them. Not a soul would have seen very much. That was what it was, I thought, thought I. To have the captain wounded again, I blamed myself sharply for leaving them, and now in that danger with so few to mount guard. By the time I got to the door and stood up, all the dark within, so all was dark within, so that I could distinguish nothing but the eye. As for sounds, there were steady drones of snorers, small occasional noise, flicking or pecking, that I could not work. In no could in no way count for. With my arms before me, I walked steadily in. I could lie down in my own place, I thought for a sudden. So I chuckled. I joyed their faces when they found me in the morning. My foot struck something yielding. It was a sleeper's walk. He turned a groan, but not without waking. Then all of a sudden, a shrill voice broke forth out of the darkness. Pieces of eight, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, pieces of eight. And so forth without pause or change. A crackling of tiny mill, silver's green pilot, parrot wrapped in fence. It was she whom I heard pecking piece of wool about. It was she keeping better watch than any human being who thus announced my rival, her wearisome refrain. I had no time to recover as sharp clipping tone of parrot, parrot to sleep as awoke and sprang up with a mighty oath, the voice of silver cried. Who goes? Again, I turned around so strangely, so violent against one person called, ran full into the arms of the second, who his part, his part closed apart, but he held me tight. Bring me a torch, Dick, said Chilver, and my capture was thus assured. And one of the men left the longhouse, presently returned with a lighted brand.